you have the ability to not drive. You are basically these Uber Lyft drivers, they're quote unquote entrepreneurs that are now looking for a handout from the company to make, mm. to make sure that like they still get taken care of. Just don't, don't drive. Don't support like Uber as a platform only can survive if you're on the platform. So like, if you're really that unhappy as an independent contractor, just don't drive anymore. Just go find the next thing. Find another platform that will do it for you. Welcome to the Perspective Podcast, where we embrace open dialogue from different perspectives about entrepreneurship, relationships, and education. And this open dialogue is needed, especially today, as we live in a Twitter finger society where everyone seems to care more about getting their point across than they are about hearing the other person's perspective. If you're ready to grow your business, your relationships, and your personal development, stick with us here at the Perspective Podcast, because sometimes in life, to get to the next level, you just need a different perspective. If I look like what I've been through, I'd be roadkill. Tell me off of the pavement, I'm reeking from the mold still. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Perspective Podcast. I'm your host, C. Muzan. Got T here with me. Say what's up, T. What's going on, family? Guys, we are back for another week. Super excited to be with you this week. Um, man, it just it feels like, again, we always want to say it, that this is like one of the best parts of our week. The fact that we get a chance to come together and talk over our perspective. Right? T and I get a chance to have more conversation, even though we have conversation throughout the week. But today, when we get together to record this podcast, uh, it's just exciting that we get a chance to, to talk about it. So we're excited for another uh, episode this week. And we're going to do something a little bit different this week because we had some other ideas. We actually couldn't figure out which topic we wanted to give our perspective on. So we said, you know what? Why not do a bunch, right? Why not give our perspective <laughs> on a bunch of topics? <laughs> it's like going to be like a 10-hour uh, Gary V.S. podcast. Let's go! <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the mega, the mega podcast, right? The yeah. mega podcast. We have you guys locked in for the next seven and a half hours, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it now. <laughs> we are not going to go that long, but we do have some topics. Hey, we should do that once, though. We should just try to see what's the the longest um, recorded podcast ever, and just we should just blow it out of the park. Because you said that, T, we're definitely going to do it now. Like because you like because you brought up that idea, I'm all about it. Let's look. Let's actually look it up, like in the Guinness Book of World Records type of thing. Yeah, and see, like, hey, who recorded the longest? live podcasts or just podcasts in general and uh see what we can do there because that might be interesting that might bro be interesting. that could be a lot of like a lot like that could be fun because there's enough topics that you would just go on and on about um i think that'd be exciting that would that would be so. exciting it would i think we can execute on that and because you've heard it here on this podcast you're going to see that happen. <laughs> there you go. Right? That's how, how T and I work, right? There's an idea thrown out, and then what happens? We execute on it. Because what's an idea if you don't execute on it, right? Boom. So that's what we're going to make happen in the future. But today, we're going to do a rapid fire. It's not, we're really not going to keep you seven hours. It's going to be a normal, <laughs> <laughs> a normal podcast show. But we're going to touch on some things. We're going to touch on some topics. And uh, we're going to go back and forth and see each other's perspective on these topics. And if we go a little bit longer, we go a little bit longer. But this is uh, this should be fun, right, T? I'm ready. Let's do it. So Rapid fire. <laughs> rap, rapid fire. We're, this is going to be a show called What's Your Perspective? Right? What's your perspective? And uh, let's start with like one of the first topics, one of the first things. I'll, I'll start off because this is something that's been on my heart for a bit and I'm actually getting more vocal about it. So for those of you that obviously have been following us and are in our community, you know, T and I individually put out content and 
one of the things I've been putting out content around is the education system and how much I believe the education system needs a massive overhaul and needs to just be changed completely uh, because it's, the, it's one of the only industries, it's one of the only industries that hasn't changed in the past 50 years. I was talking to somebody recently and they said that, um, or maybe I was listening to a podcast or something, and I remember them saying, if you walked into a classroom 50 years ago, it would look exactly the same as if you walked into that classroom today. The only difference is there's no chalkboard. It's a whiteboard or a smart board. That's about the only difference. And when they said that, I was like, that's very true. <laughs> the classrooms look exactly the same. So the question and the topic that we're going to start with is this notion of homeschooling. Homeschooling and how popular it is to actually homeschool your children and how popular it's gotten specifically in the United States over the past few years. I have a graph that I'm referencing and I apologize, I'm not sure where this graph is from, but I, it came from, uh, it's a 2017, it looks like study. And it said um, in 1990, 1990, which is basically what, thir almost 30 years ago, mm -hmm. the number of homeschooled uh, uh, families or homes, it said in the thousands, let's say it says 275,000. 275,000 homeschooled kids or houses in 1990 in the United States. In 2016, if we fast forward, 2016, 2.3 million mm. homeschooled households in the United States. So from 1990, we went from 275,000 households that homeschooled to what's that 26 years later 25 26 years later mm -hmm. 2.3 2. Mm. homeschool houses in the united states t what's your take on that that's a joke <laughs> <laughs> i'm like sitting here like trying to like wrap my head around the numbers 275,000. You said to two million over two million. To two point three million in a matter of twenty five years, from nineteen ninety to uh, two million people to two thousand two million new families. Now yeah. you know. Now somebody's going to say, "Well, we have more people living here, so exact." I get that, but that that is a lot of people saying, "You know what? I don't trust the school system." Mm. Yep. That's exactly. I mean, if you just ask me, like you know, we're doing a rapid fire thought. That's a bunch of people that don't trust the school system because it's not conducive. Now, that also is now now we have to do we do have to take this into consideration. We live in an information age and we live in I call it Twitterverse, mm -hmm. right? Where many people think they know more than the next person anyway. So I believe that that is playing into it as well, where in 19, what was that? You said 1999, right? Uh, no, 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 1990. 1990, excuse me, right? 1990, there was still, and then let's go back 30 years before that, 1960, right? Mm -hmm. There was a different level of respect for teachers, right? Like people, you know, what was the top professions or respected professions, shall I say? It used to be, you know, doctor, lawyer, teacher, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was like, it was up there in the respected. Over the years, teachers aren't respected. They're, if you talk about classrooms ain't changed much, I would argue teachers' pay ain't changed much either, you know, over the last 30 to 60 years. So when you take the respect level for teachers down, right, when you take the, you know, the growing schools, you know, the population, so more teach, less teachers, more students, you take the less investment from the state, government, et cetera, et cetera, into the schools. And then you take a group of millennials who think they know more than their, even, their old bosses and professors and everybody else anyway. Oh, that's a recipe for, uh, yeah, I don't, they, they're not going to teach my kid anything. 
Yeah. Right. And I think it comes, I think it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's kind of like, for example, in school, the smart kids, air quotes here, right? Like they get all the right grades. They get better courses. They get better teachers. They get more enhancement. The students that don't do so well get less services, less support. And then over the summer, the, the, the kids that are getting all the great grades are, are encouraged to do more. The other kids, the other, the other students, the teachers are like, can't get rid of fast enough. And then you just, over the course of time, continue to just have this huge gap continuing to happen and parents are like you know what I don't want that I don't care for that I don't see how that's going for my kid I'll just do it myself right I'll just do it myself because I can work at home and do and do little billies of classwork for the first three hours of the day and still run my business from home and I think I'm smarter than the teacher anyway yeah. so I think that's a recipe for it and I, I think it's going to be even a growing number of that even more, or it's going to consolidate differently, meaning like you're going to have like a lot more online schools pop up where mm-hmm. parents are quote, quote, homeschooling, but they're just going through online curriculums uh, for, with their students. Yeah. So I think it's going to hybrid off, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Cyber school is going to definitely get big and, and yep. will continue to get bigger. Uh, but I think this just, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I think this just speaks to, the fact that people have lost confidence in our education system. And yeah. it just shows over, over time that this has been a problem, not just now, uh, but obviously going back to, you know, I, I didn't explain the entire graph, but there's a big jump in the 90s. From 1990 to 1997, it goes from 275 to a million. Mm. Right, so all that happened in a seven-year span in the '90s. Um, Three so times, yeah. So obviously, so obviously, right, there has there there have been issues with the education system. I wouldn't even point to the fact that obviously lives have changed. That well, that could also come into play. Let me say that it could come into play that our society has changed with um, the second parent going to work. That you know, a lot of that had to do with our society shifting to we can no longer be a a one working parent household where maybe mom or dad stays home and the other one goes out um, and works. As we've transitioned to this two, like dual income household, this two parent um, income household, maybe that has had something to do with uh, scheduling and, um, you know, raising their kids. But in my mind, that would do the opposite, right? That would send more kids to school then it would keep them out of school. So that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I so I really think that it does come down to just our society losing faith in our education system. It's happening more and more. It's something um, T, you and I have talked about, something me and my wife talk about, because what's the purpose of sending our children to a school if we're not confident that they're going to be equipped with the things that they need? Like when they when they graduate, like what's the what's the purpose of it? Is it are we really now just going to come down to the social aspect, right? Because everyone that I talk about homeschooling with, the, the only the only real thing, the only real thing that people bring up is, I knew someone that was weird, that was homeschooled because they didn't get introduced to like other kids. So like they're little. You know how many sp- weird kids I went to school with? Exactly. I mean, come on. Exactly. I mean, come on. Like. Exactly. I'm talking about the kid that was amid, amidst everybody else and hated being there. And you always worried that if one day he was going to get upset and it was going to be a new story. Exactly. Like, come on now. I'm exactly. just being honest. Like, I mean, just keep it real. Like, it's a thousand he probably should have been homeschooled. Yeah. It's a, thousand, <laughs> it's a thousand percent true that it doesn't matter whether they're in school, in a social environment, or homeschooling, kind of doing it themselves. If your kid's weird, your kid's gonna be weird. It's just the way. Like, <laughs> You're weird. Your yeah. parents weird. My yeah. kids are weird. I'm gonna say it on. I'm gonna say national uh, national news, but it is national news because it's gonna go. It's gonna get syndicated. That's My right. kids are weird because <laughs> their daddy is weird. So like, so yeah. so it is what it is. Has nothing has nothing to really do with homeschooling for that part, but I really think we have to. This is something we have to evaluate. Um, and now we're getting into another stage of concern, which is the safety of our children. And 
right? We have to go down that path as well with all of the things that have been happening um, with school shootings and lockdowns and all that type of stuff, which just puts another another layer of fear, honestly, another layer of fear in the system. And so, so now we really do have to calibrate, like, hey, what, what are we doing? The system hasn't changed. Classrooms haven't changed. It seems like they're less safe in those environments because we can't seem to keep crazy kids and people from doing what they want in our society. So what are we really, you know, we really have to have this conversation. And so that's our take on that. But I think homeschool mm. is going to, I think it's just going to get bigger. It's going to get bigger. I'll say this. Yeah. Can I add one last little thing? I'm going to drop one in and it will, we'll move on. Mm-hmm. Florida, if I'm, yeah, I think it was Florida, mm-hmm. just passed the first bill or at least the first step in a bill, if I'm not mistaken. So somebody's going to correct us on that. But as far as allowing teachers to carry guns, yep. and you watch and believe, I want you to keep this chart and watch as soon as that first kid gets shot mm-hmm. by a teacher defending themselves and watch that watch the homeschool numbers start to blow through the roof. Mm, absolutely. So now I'm not only worried about my kid going for another kid that's like a little bit off and their parents are not paying attention, right? <laughs> or <laughs> missing it. But I also have to worry about the 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 teacher that's underpaid, undersupplied, most of the time undernourished and underappreciated, now having a loaded gun with my mouthy kid yeah come on now it's a recipe for disaster i would i would i'm curious to see what that chart is nationality wise if it could break it up Hmm. i'm sure we could get that research i'm sure we could find out so we'll we'll follow up on that one too because i know i can see a lot of black parents (laughs) as a black man African-American, you know, more, whatever they want to call us these days, right? <laughs> Negro, whatever. <laughs> you know, whatever we want to call us, Jewish, whatnot, whatever. You know, depends on your flavor of the month, right? If you, whatever it is, I can see us being like, no, nah, uh-uh. That just sounds like, uh, and in Florida, where people have been shot for yeah. just walking around. Yeah. Come on now. Nope. Recipe for disaster, and what are nope. we really doing to our kids for the sake of nope. education? Yep, man. I mean, look, we're talking about their sexual orientation, trying to teach them what to decide what they want to do in the bedroom, and now we're teaching them how to like duck and dodge bullets from the teacher. Like, I, we're in school, school, man. Like, no. like I mean, school is school. But hey, all those people that argue, hey, man, they're not getting socialized right. Well, there you go. I think they're they're becoming um, <laughs> um, a different socialization. They're learning some new skills that I don't think the school intended for them to learn. So um, <laughs> that's crazy. That's, yeah, wild. that's nuts. Uh, that's nuts. Anyway, so that was, that, right. was, that was number one. All right, cool. Next one, uh, I'll go with this one. All right, so I'm gonna, I know how you're going to feel about this. I think, you know, we've done this long enough now gig industry the gig industry right like the uber will keep the uber the lifts people that go out there and do little gigs side little jobs side hustle hustle money right mm-hmm. is it fair i hate the word fair but i'll use this for just general speaking <laughs> or not fair for how let's just take it to uber and lyft those drivers are being treated by those companies making billions of dollars and not taking care of their drivers in an adequate way, according to their drivers. What's your thoughts? <laughs> I'll, I'll shoot straight to the point and get, get straight to the point. Like, there was no one complaining that Uber came out as an app to help them make money. Nobody cared. Everyone jumped on it, right? As soon as Uber, Lyft, all that stuff comes out, and you're like, oh, I could drive, I could just register my car and then I could drive and I could make money from doing that. Well, this is awesome. So they created a platform to make sure people could make money. And now that they did that and they made a successful product, now the liability, people want it to flip and now it's back on the company that now you don't pay us enough. I don't buy into it at all. 
I don't buy into it, not one bit, because when you step into this 1099 world, <laughs> you are an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. You are an independent contractor. That is your title. You have the right to not drive. No one's forcing you to do anything. Just because it's not as good as it was because the company has to make more profit or whatever they want to do with it, like you have the ability to not drive. You are basically, these Uber, Lyft drivers, they're quote unquote entrepreneurs that are now looking for a handout from the company to make, mm. to make sure that like they still get taken care of. Just don't, don't drive. Don't support, like Uber as a platform only can survive if you're on the platform. So like, if you're really that unhappy as an independent contractor, just don't drive anymore. Just go find the next thing, find another platform that will do it for you, right? Should everyone get a livable wage, a fair way? Like, oh, sure, right? It's not, it doesn't make sense. I'm not super insensitive that like somebody has to work four jobs and live on welfare. And then there's people at the tops of companies, right? The Uber IPO, what they got valued at what? 8.4 billion or something like that, right? So they're, they're making money clearly. They got value, valued really high. I understand there's a discrepancy there, but I'm just not into any complaining. I'm not into anybody, especially if you're call yourself an independent contractor or self-employed or an entrepreneur. I don't, I don't see where we need to start complaining to the company that they're not paying us enough. Just mm. either drive more or don't drive at all and find another gig to do. And that's your right. But I don't think you should change anything. That's just, it comes down to like whining and complaining. And again, there's no room for that when you're, if you're really trying to grow some sort of revenue business at all. So that's my take on that. Mm, I like it. So I think this is where it happened. The, to your point, I agree. It, all, it started off as the side hustle, mm -hmm. right? It was, hey, on my way home from work, I'll pick up a couple people on my hour drive home and make, you know, an extra 30, 40, 50 bucks on my way home every day. Adds up. Or I'm in between jobs. I have a car with a note. I need to cover it. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, I'm not legal here in the United States. How many of those have been your Uber driver? <laughs> I'm not legal here in the United States, and I need something that I can do. And as a 1099, I don't have to show all this employee documents, da, da, da. I can drive, right? Mm -hmm. And it became, and then what happened was it got so good for the early adopters that everybody jumped on board. And everybody jumped on board, like everybody, but you know what I mean. Not mo a lot of people jumped on board, not everybody. I don't drive, right? <laughs> um, right? Yeah. And then, right? And then now, now it's like, hey, you know what? This can just be my job. And once that happened, it changed. And I remember, and, you know, and I can speak to this because, you know, being in the car industry, we have a lot of people that come in. At one point in time, about 25, 35% of the people that would come in that would buy cars and wanted to buy cars from me were trying to do it for Uber or Lyft or some type of delivery service. Sure. So I remember talking to them and, th and I remember it going from, hey, here goes some extra income on my job and quickly watching it literally transform into, no, nah, that's all I do, customer. Yep. And I remember over the months and years, few years watching the difference from no this is what I add to no this is what I do because it gives me flexibility and I think once that happened once you had that wave of employees say that's my new job and I can control my pay now I want the same rights as what I just had over there they started treating it like a job that's literally it became what a job became exactly. a job and so they started to make exactly. demands like it's a job and they forgot that it's not a job. They're on a 1099, meaning they're an independent contractor. That platform that you chose to be contracted with 
doesn't owe you anything. You you nope. signed the terms and conditions. You signed yep. for you signed up for it, and now you want to change it because it's your only stream of income. Well, that was your that, that was your decision. And, and you know it's interesting because there's two parts to it, right? Like, and this is where you have an employee trying to trying to do an entrepreneur type thing with the wrong mindset. Truly, and we keep saying that because it really is. Because I, you know, I use Uber quite often in, in, in or Lyft for work, right? Like, you know, when we're out of town and traveling or just whatever, we use it, and we have a you have a corporate account. And one of the things that's interesting is you listen to people; they're like, "Yeah, it don't, they don't hardly pay us anything anymore." And I'm, and then in my head, I'm just like, "Cause I'm not going to argue with somebody driving me around, right?" <laughs> um, in my, in my city, I'm just like, "Well." As a business, you because the ride share industry has been so doing so well, there's more com- competition now. And with more competition now, they're going to have to lower their margins because now when I go on, that $2 difference between Lyft and Uber might make the difference between which company I pick. Absolutely. Well, who's going to pay for that $2 difference? The company's not going to eat it every time, That's right? True. Just so that you're okay. No, we all going to take an eat. And guess what? Because I'm at the top. I'm going to dictate who's taking the two. I might just make it on you. Right? Right? Because because there's enough people that want my service that, hey, if you don't want to drive, somebody else will. And that's the, now that's where we are now. Somebody quits driving, then guess what? Then there's another 10 people that are waiting to drive. Yep. And, they, and they have, and then as an, in the, that's like me and you selling, you know, waffle cones out on the street for people to buy ice cream, right? Like, you know, like we sell, you know, waffle cone ice creams or whatever. And then there's, it's just us and we're making all the money. And then a hundred new people say, man, they're making a lot of money. Now there's a hundred people on the same street as us selling the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to have to figure out a way to keep revenue coming in. Right. Like, and we're going to have to figure something out because there's, there's more competition. Exactly. Period. I just, think, so. I, I just think people don't understand business. That's really what it comes down to. I just don't think people understand how business really is, is supposed to work. As you make more money in business, like for some reason, there's a thought that people think that like more money is just going into the pockets of the owners. Like that's just, well, now they make more money. So they're taking all of it. And that's not really what happens. Yeah, of course, they probably get a raise because for anyone that has ever built a business or is in the process of building a business, there should come a time that you go from not being able to feed your family because you've invested everything in the business to making income for all of the success that you've had. Like that's just, Mm -hmm. that's natural. But it's mm. not it's not all going into the owner's pocket. Then there becomes higher liabilities. There's more insurances that are needed to cover your business. Like you said, there's more like now you have more competition. So you have to invest more into into research and development. You have to put more uh, perks in place. You have to hire more people like there's everything scales just because the company starts making more money doesn't mean that it's all profitable money. Mm-hmm. Because there are other things that they have to focus on. And I wish the employee minded person understood that. Again, not being insensitive that like you can't live off of your wage. I get it. But every dime that like starts to flow into a company doesn't all just go back to into wages. Right? It's just not the, me. not the way it goes. Trust me, me and Chris are have our own businesses. And, and you guys have watched the evolution, or uh, you know, at least listen to the evolution of me. That like, I, look, I'm having my greatest month ever, and it hasn't. Tra- it's translating, but it's a lot of it's going back. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, like a lot. Most of it's going back. Like there's there's big wins, but they typically happen on the flips, but we're not going to get into that. Like, right. you know that's down the line. That's, 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 a different, that's a different podcast episode. <laughs> All right. Your turn. Go next. See you next. Right. So we can right. stay on, on this forever. Gig economy. All right. So next one, this one is a little bit deeper, but uh, I'll tell you, it's something that's prevalent and been popping up a bunch in our society and had a little bit of a conversation about it with my wife. So I figured I'd bring it out to you guys. Uh, but uh, the importance of, of talking about our traumas in life. I just recently saw an interview with Common, the artist um, Common, and he put out a book. And in that book, he had talked a little bit about uh, 
being sexually molested as a child. And it just led, and what was interesting about the interview was that he started to say, he, you know, he has a 21 year old daughter and having to tell her for the first time, uh, even though she's an adult, like was difficult. And then the conversation that they had as far as like, hey, I'm proud of you, like she was proud of him for being able to like step out and talk about it. And um, it just got me to a place of thinking like, man, what the importance of us really talking about the things and the experiences and the traumas we've had in our life as children or as young adults, that how, how important is it to now talk about it, one, in the open, two, talk about it with our children. Uh, some people say, it, it might be too like there's times when it's too early like is there a certain age that certain people that we should talk about certain things with our children is it a uh, a maturity level that they have to be is it even right to talk about our traumas and be able to express it somehow so either the world knows so we can get healing from it or our children know so they don't maybe experience it but it's a really it, it's a really uh it's a topic that I've seen come up a little bit more frequently in the past, I would say like maybe six months or so. And I think our country is getting more comfortable with talking about it, but I'm curious what your take is, if you think it's a good idea, if uh, like just kind of what, what's your take on that? Well, well I'm, it's an easy answer for me. One is to say you should talk about it. Yeah. Um, now, I think the timing of that depends on every single person. Right. Um, you know, I have a I have a saying that I grew up with that no, no, no one person knows every single thing about me. Right. Sure. Um, and I don't know if that's the best thing for being married. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just being honest, like, you know, and so that comes down to like comfortability. Right. There are some things in my life that I never talked about until I got to after 30. Yeah. Right. That happened to me. Or the or that I saw happen and how it internally caused trauma. Sure. Right. Like you know what I mean? Because there's there's different types of trauma as we we all know. But generally speaking, yes, I think we should all talk about it. Um, but in our own due season, right? Um, there's been times where I said, no, I'm never gonna say that. I'm there's and then I get in a different place in my life and I'm like, okay, I'm okay now. Right. right? And I think once you get to that, I'm okay now spot. I think that's when it's, 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 I think in my opinion, it's God speaking to you to go ahead now and, and be a blessing to somebody else because somebody else is going through that as well. Um, and so, um, um, you know, so I think that's the, that's the biggest, you know, thing for me. So yes. Now there is this notion that you don't say something because the person's still around that caused your trauma and you don't want to bring up anything else later, sure. right? And and cause heartache on them. And my aunt, my my harsh, but gut from the gut, they weren't thinking about that when it caused the trauma. Yeah. So, you know, uncle molested me, but he's the favorite uncle of the family now. Well, guess what? Favorite uncle of the family now. <laughs> Forty years later, you know, um, you're not probably going to be the favorite uncle anymore. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, of the family now. And I know people are like, well, that's so hard and you're bringing stress on the family. But but what is the stress that that individual girl or boy, right, from the uncle um, had to endure or from the auntie? I mean, people talk about the man molesting little girls, but there's been a quite, I know uh, quite a few men where they were molested by women. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so don't think that, that that's not as, see, most men won't talk about that because we're, we're brought up in this whole, hey, man, if the guy gets some, um, you know, gets some or gets messed around, like, that's a good thing. And, you know, if it's a girl, that's a bad thing. No, trauma is trauma. A kid get molested, no adult should be touching a little kid, period. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Man, woman, child, it would no matter. Like, that doesn't, no. But, if we're just talking about molestation, there's a lot of other trauma right. that we can go into, right? But yes, 100%, and in due season when you're comfortable, and, 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 and quite honestly, so what if it's, and I know that's hard for some people to talk about it, but remember, if you really love somebody, I'll leave it here, and I want nothing else to say about this because this is very deep. Yeah. If you really love somebody and you care about their full well-being, and you say you do, 
and they make a decision that they need to start talking about it for whatever reason it empowers them in a positive way, then if you really love them, you can't start trying to say, well, the other person that are considered. No, if you love them and that's their way of empowerment, give them their moment and let them discuss it and be there for them. And if there's somebody else that's gonna get hurt from it because they caused hurt, maybe is this their time for them to heal because they haven't been able, they haven't had to face the, the 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 reality or consequence of their decisions in the past. So yeah. it's their time to heal too differently when their accuser finally can come to them and say, I'm bold enough to say you hurt me, but we gotta grow together. That's it. And and I think oh. that's that's where it all starts and ends. It's with healing. It's with healing. Our our quest as human beings, right, is is to be is to live live life fully. And mm -hmm. when we deal with trauma from a young age, early, you know, from an early age or to a later stage, right? There's traumas that happen in our lives so often that sometimes we don't even understand that it's trauma or that it's traumatizing or that's not supposed to happen or right things are different and um it really comes down to that person's individual mental health and well-being and being able to heal from a situation and i believe the only way to really heal is to be able to talk about anything that is suppressed over a long period of time becomes a cancer right it, it festers it's it's negative feelings negative energy that's inside of your body, that's in your thoughts. And those things have to come out. In the context that they come out, that uh, is, is situational. Right? Mm -hmm. Later or earlier or, you know, whether you do, I believe, I do believe that telling your child if there's something that the family struggles with or the family has dealt with, that your, mm -hmm. child, your child understanding some of those things, maybe sooner rather than later, um, is going to be important. Uh, just so that things don't get passed down. But at the end of the day, it's about healing. And however people can heal, they need to. And if it comes in the manner of speaking up and uh, talking to someone about the trauma, I think that's that's going to be the best the best possible course of action because it's from all those traumas that we start to shape our lives and make these decisions. And uh, if we don't get healing, man, if we don't get healing, uh, Things, things, things are bad. I mean, if we talk about just in general, I've heard this, this uh, talked about a bunch from the other side of trauma, not molestation side, but like growing up in the hood, right? Growing up mm -hmm. in, in poverty, growing up in the projects, growing up around drugs and killing. And like people say like, like that's not normal, right? Mm -hmm. it's not normal to know that like seven of your cousins have died before you turn 15. It's not, you know what I mean? Like people have stories like that and that's not normal to see that, to see shootouts, to see fights, to see drug addicts, to see, to carry a gun. Like those things aren't normal, but to a lot of people that ha were raised in that, to them, that becomes normal. So that is a trauma. That's a form of trauma because that's not how it was intended. That was an environmental thing that tra like, traumatizes kids. To like if you see somebody that's, you know, the, con the concept of death at an early age is not always going to be received well. And those, mm -hmm. things, those things form trauma. And it, if we don't talk about that type of stuff, if we normalize it or we think it's just not a big deal, we start to suppress a lot of feelings. And when we suppress those feelings, it changes who we are. So I believe fully in speaking out about the traumas of our life, no matter how small they are or how insignificant we might feel they are, it will help heal us as a people if we just continue to talk about the ways that we've been traumatized. And it's through, it's through our testimony that maybe we can heal somebody else or give someone else the confidence to be able to talk about it too. So, Yep, 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 yep. Or maybe find some solution from somebody because you talked about it and you didn't even know that it was out there. You thought maybe you were okay. And then you talk about it and then you hear somebody else mention or go through like, oh, I had that too. And this is what I did. And you're like, wow, wow, I thought I was good, but I, I guess there's another level, yep. you know what I mean, to go through it. And, and, and you know, just like, you know, we talked about this before, I think on the call or, or you know, on the, on the podcast and or maybe we didn't, but 
I grew up with a lot of trauma just to be super open and vulnerable, like just to show how important it is. Like my mom was, and I grew up saying it this way, so this is the only way I know how to say it, was a crackhead. Yeah. <laughs> like, like now somebody's like, oh my God, you call your mom a crackhead. I'm like, but that's how I was taught to call her growing up. She was crackhead. Like, you know what I mean? And and so somebody, like, that's traumatic. Like, like it's, it's you know what I mean? Like, think about it. Like, every day, every year around Mother's Day, like, I have to be reminded. And I was a kid, my dad, not really knowing any better and just trying to do the right thing. He was dealing with his own hurt and trauma, sure. right? Was, right? Was, I grew up as a kid knowing this. Your mom, literally, these are the words, your mom chose crack cocaine over us. That's tough. Like, like as a kid, that was like, I was like, okay, uh, mommy chose crack cocaine. What's crack cocaine? <laughs> oh, it's drugs, son. It, it messes your body up and it causes you to do this. Oh, you know what? Don't even have to, you don't have to worry. You don't have to look for her. You see that lady in our bathroom right there? Yeah, she's on it. Mm. See how she's acting? That's how, that's, you know, you see how she's, she's moving around. You see that? Yeah, that's it. Oh, you see those people over there? You see that right there? Like on our next door neighbor? Yeah, that, they're on crack. Mm. You see how their teeth look? So literally, you talk about growing up around drugs and, and different things. I'm like, oh, so she chose to do use this substance. Yeah, but why did it take her away from us? Oh, well, it take her away from us because when you get on crack, all you want to do is live for your next high. So remember when mommy came in and stole daddy's money? Yeah, that's because she was still in the go get crack. Remember when our, we came back home and some of our appliances were missing? Yeah, dad, I remember it when the TV was gone. Well, guess what? That was your mom, you know, stealing it so she could go get some crack. Remember when your mom hit me in the head, you know, with a telephone and we were arguing and fighting and all the windows got busted out? Yeah, guess what? That's because she was on drugs, son. Yeah. And so you grow up. You know, these now I'm talking about Yo, I'm talking like four, three, four years old. Yeah, I was gonna ask how old, how old you are. When yeah, three, you four to... years old. So you grow up with, hey, your mom. You know, then as the years went on, my dad got better. Like, hey, man, you know, your mom was addicted. Da da. It was softer later because my dad had to grow. Exactly. But it was, but in the moment, it was. Yeah, she chose crack over us, son. Mm. And that's what stuck. Because, yes, later on, mommy, my dad got more sensitive and understanding of addiction or what have you in his own right, but she still wasn't around. So it wasn't a difference. So it wasn't like my mom recovered, my dad grew, she, you know, she recovered, and then I got to be evolved with him. It was, I still got left holding the bag without no mom. Yeah. So, yeah, you're talking nicer about her, but the fact still remains she's not around. And then, oh, wow, she's out there on drugs, finds out she has a lump in her breast, and doesn't get it treated because she's just trying to stay in the streets, and boom. When I'm of the age that I can go to her, she dies of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. That's traumatic. Like, you know, so, yeah, and a lot of people are like, are like, oh, my God, you're getting really deep. But I'm, I'm at a place in my life now where I talk about it, and you can even hear how casually I talk about it, sure. right? Like, you know, to somebody else, they're like, oh, my God, I'm freaking out right now. Sure. Like, this went left, right? But that's how ca- that's how normal it was. Yep. And now you deal with the effects of around Mother's Day, around different times where you're like, holy crap. Like, that was part of my life. Yeah. And so you got to be able to, right? And there's probably going to be somebody now, listen to this podcast, like, oh my God, I lost my such and such to drugs. And da, da, da. I don't know how I deal with it and how you can seem like everything's okay. Well, guess what? I can, let, I can help. I can give you something that I've learned to get to that place. I've been through the roller coasters and up and downs. And now I'm in a place where I'm like, hey, I, can, I know and let me help, right? <laughs> like, sure. I can help. If you want, if you want help, I can help, and then guess what? There's still people that help me with it. So even today, so there, there goes. You know, we talk about it. Talk, you know, we we are people that execute on what we talk about. So that's it. I, I share it. So that's awesome. That's awesome, and that's so true, man. Just understanding that no matter how normal we think it is, we've been we've had traumatic experiences that we have to overcome and talk about. We have to. Yep. That's it. Well, so 
All right, switch it up. We're going we're gonna to take you out on a roller coaster today. Switch it up. So I think this is the last one here, right? So we don't want to keep we, we don't want to keep you on too long on this podcast, but I'll 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 loosen it up since I I, I think it's so so dark. <laughs> um, all right, so what we got here? All right, we're gonna switch it up to some basketball. Me and Chris we love playing basketball. We'll probably be playing basketball together real soon. We can doing something, figuring some schedules out there, but. We're gonna to go to in, we're gonna talk a little NBA here. All right. So if you if you're not into basketball, stick with us. There's a topic here. Now, would you rather be a champion, meaning you play for a team that won a championship? Let's say several of them, right? Like at least two. Like you know, or three. Let's say three. And that's your Robert Horry's, right, of the world. That's your um, Derek Fisher's, if you will, of the world. That's your um, uh, uh, Andre Iguodala. That'd be probably be a better one because he he was a superstar at one point on his own, and you know, and then he was a Finals MVP going up against LeBron and whatnot. But you're not like you never were like all time great, but you were like always a key component and true real reason why your team won. Or would you rather have a Hall of Fame career, MVP like? James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Derrick Rose, Allen Iverson, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, and never win the championship. Mm. Who would you rather be? Would you rather be the guy who was a part of a championship team, but you weren't the guy or the second guy? You were like the third, maybe fourth guy of a very good team that won several championships or a couple teams that won several championships, or would you rather be the Hall of Fame superstar MVP that never won anything? Mm. That's a, it's a good debate. I think it goes, I mean, if I'm going to talk from my perspective on this one, um, really goes to people's character. Do you prefer to, you know, be the guy that had all the shine and, and that had a great career personally? And just said, you know what, I can, I, I gave it my all and I showed my talent and I came and I conquered. And I, even though I didn't win that title, I gave it my personal best. Hence why I'm a Hall of Famer. I gave it my mm-hmm. personal best. I stuck it out because to be a Hall of Famer in the NBA or in any professional sport, not only do you have to have longevity, you also have to play at a high level for a long period of time. So those mm-hmm. are feats in and of itself versus the team, the real team player. That's like, I was, I contributed. And as, and as a result of me contributing, our team won. Um, I would go with that route. Even though I'm in, and this is weird. You might think I would think the other answer. And in my, you know, in my brain, I kind of, I don't know. You know, honestly, I really think I'm the team player type. I don't need mm. to, even though I'm an entrepreneur, right? And I want to be a number one and I want to be the head. It's more important for me to win championships. It's more mm. important. It's more important for me to say as a collective, as a collective, we did what most people don't do. They're not, most people mm. don't win championships. Just so everyone understands. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, like yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. Like, it doesn't only one team can win every year and there's only 12 to 15 guys on the team exactly. or girls on the team. So. Exactly. So, so, like, it's not that everybody wins championships. That, to me, in the realm of basketball and sports in general, is the pinnacle. I don't, mm. necess- I don't need the accolades of I made it to the Hall of Fame, um, even though that would be nice and you showcase your talent. I, I think it's about the collective. I think it's about winning the rings. I don't care that I wasn't the number one guy. I could be the number four guy or the number seven guy on a basketball team that did my role consistently and contributed and had a great career and added value to every situation I was put in. And as a result, we won championships. I would be more content than if I was the Allen Iverson, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, that make it to the Hall of Fame without a ring I would I, I don't know how that would sit with me so I think I would be way more on the team we won a championship 
I have rings regardless of my role. I did something. That's how I would look at mm. it. Now, okay, I like it. Now, what's funny is my initial thoughts is, oh, I'll be AI. <laughs> right? Because yeah. I'm like, hey, you know, like that was my, that's my initial like, like, you know what? Because, you know, it's funny. And I, I'll bring somebody up, but it doesn't correlate because he won. Floyd Mayweather, right? Floyd Mayweather said back in the day, I remember he said, you can keep your belts, give me the money. Right? Like, the, the, he's like, the trophies and these belts don't feed my kids. Right. <laughs> right? And so I get that thought process of, hey, look, I'm in the Hall of Fame. I was a max player outside of my rookie contract my entire career. Right? Um, I made the most money. I had, if I'm a Hall of Famer, I also probably had the most endorsements. You know what I mean? I, had, I made the most money on and off the court. Yeah. Yes, I didn't win on the court, but my family won real, real, real big off the, you know, outside of basketball because of my ability to just go out there and just pour everything, my whole life into this thing for 15 to 20 years. Sure. And then, and that was my initial thought. So I'm going to be, I'm going to cheat a little bit. <laughs> but then I thought about, then I really thought like, you know what? But the third guy or fourth guy in the NBA still make, is still in the 1% of the United States earnings. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> right? Like, and, you know, and, and with that being said, there is something that is empty. You hear in those guys' voices at the end of their careers. Mm. As much as all the accolades, they all, some of them have even said, I'll give it all away for just the win. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just the win. And I think there is something that happens when you bond, that a bonding that takes place when you win. So my initial thought was, when I was thinking about this, yeah, no, give me the Hall of Fame. But as I considered again before, right before the question, I'm going to go with the team guy. Yeah. Even though the team guy, but even though because there's something about special about being called a champion. And yeah. not because you just for the accolade, but there's something about coming together collectively and winning that I believe that just trumps individual performance. But that's just me. <laughs> no, so, it, but it's the truth for anybody that plays team sports, right? You and I played play ball together. We understand yep. what, what it means to be on the team. Like you, people don't, it's so funny because I don't think a lot of people really calibrate uh, what happens when you're on a team that plays, whether it's professionally or whatever, but like the amount of time you spend together. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people, and again, I'm, I'm guilty because I don't watch a ton of uh, professional sports because I think it's more entertainment than it is substance right but at the end of the day they're still a team and it's still their job they spend so much time together from practices mm -hmm. to meals to road games to you know uh, like just an enormous amount of time together and to then go from the beginning of a season where you're all coming together learning each other bonding to get to the pinnacle as a team and say, man, we got here, it's just amazing, right? It's, it's the thing that holds it all together. That's why I would take the ring over being, you know, a super, a super, a superstar that's a Hall of Famer. I just prefer to take the ring because I know and I understand what it means to be on a team and the things that you have to go through to be cohesive enough to perform at that level. Right, because there's all the behind the scenes stuff that no one knows and talks about. Everyone mm -hmm. doesn't everyone doesn't get along on a team. <laughs> Just so you guys know, right? Just throw that out. Yeah, no. Like not everyone gets along. Not everyone has similar personalities. Like it, I remember for a fact us playing basketball. Like there are peop there were people on our team that like pushed my buttons. Yeah. Right? I just like a I remember grabbing a one by the head. <laughs> and practice and pushed it and I was ready to fight and they wouldn't fight me <laughs> and I remember I was like I want to fight right now like I don't like you right now <laughs> those are real those are real things yeah. that happen in practices and like words are said and like it's not always fun and cohesive so to get to a point where you've been able to bring that together multiple times 
and have, you know, multiple championships and really show your eliteness, I think it means more than just your individual career. Believe it. Mm. Even if it leaves a hundred million dollars worth of earnings on the table over 15 years. Uh, you know, that's, that's a large number T. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But, but, but that's what we're talking, right? Because we're talking max deals every every four, three, four, five years. That you know that you're the you think about it. You're the four year guy that gets you know four year guy that gets what? Let's call it eighty million, twenty million a year, right? Yeah. And then the other guy gets the five year, two hundred million. Yeah, when see again, it's 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 about where where your treasure is. If if people right. just care about the money, then sure, right, sure, it's probably not going to be the best look to take to to sacrifice money to to win championships. But um, I think, and I would hope, and maybe that's why I don't watch professional sports because <laughs> I I don't believe that this is pure anymore. But I would have hoped that when you the goal is always to win. The goal is always to win championships. The goal is not I'm doing this to support my family because that's employee mindset, right? It's just having a job. Like, all right, oh, I'm there's sure. a bunch of employees that work in the NBA. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, in the NFL. I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a thousand percent sure, but they also won't be in the Hall of Fame conversation. And so, right, like the, it, it really comes down to what is it that you're really outcome, like what's your outcome? And I think mm-hmm. everyone going into the league, their outcome should be to win, to win, to, to win games, to win championships, to bring value to the organization. I know it doesn't happen that way all the time, but that should be the goal. So therefore, your treasure should be in winning championships. It should be we made it to the pinnacle every year or however many years we we were the best team. Whatever the case is, we held it together longer. We We were more mentally tough. It takes a lot to be a champion takes a lot to be a champion and so um i think uh i forget who it was that said it one of the coaches in the nba after they just lost um their series said like that's why they're champions talking about i think they're talking about golden state like that's why they're they're that's why they've won rings that's why they're champions right because you have to perform at a high level be cohesive enough to make things happen it's not about individual performance it's not about money It's, it's about winning that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. All right. I like it. All right. Bonus question. This is just for you. Bonus question. Bonus. All right. Last one here. And this is only for Chris. All right. So studies now are showing. It's a LinkedIn uh, LinkedIn um, report. You can find it there. Yeah. And let me see. I forget who the study is by. Hold up. Um, a study in the Journal of Personality, uh, Personality and Social psychology say that 10 times fast the journal of personality and social psychology and my list is not helping uh uh, it says that there's a new study shows that managers who are managers who make decisions around their team's preferences often make choices that hinder the overall group's success. So I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll frame that up again. They said, so managers are bosses who make decisions around their people's preference. Pretty much, you know, what do you guys all think about it? All right, cool, we'll do it. I just gave a, you know, a quick snapshot of how that might look, right? Find that it actually, their decision quality is poor. It actually hurts the group overall. What are your thoughts around this? Is it good that a manager, I'm going to use good fluently here, mm-hmm. that listens to their people, not listens to their people, but preference, their people's preference, or is it better that a manager says, you know what, we got to do what's the best overall? Because the study shows people preference is not good. But is that is that right in itself? That's the question. So – this is an easy one for me, T. Right? Like, it's, <laughs> this is this is this is easy. You you never you you never run an organization to the preferences of the people that you're managing. Like, it just it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense because everyone has a different preference. Everyone has a difference of opinion. As a manager, your job isn't to just please everybody. You're a leader. You're in a leadership position. Here's where people probably can't differentiate this. I will still ask the opinion of every single person 
that I manage or lead. I need their feedback, but I will never make decisions according to their preferences. And right, that's that's not the way that it works. I get it, so mm. I can understand collective i can understand okay this person feels this way this person's struggling with this this person thinks we need to improve this this person thinks that this part is you know lacking okay i'll take all those things into consideration because at the end of the day they are on the ground right they're your foot soldiers if, if it's sales and you're the manager or if it's restaurants and you're the manager they're touching the customer they're touching the client they're doing it so you have to get the feedback but the specific question that you're asking is, do I then base my decisions around their preferences? Basically, do I allow the employee to call the shot? Do I allow the person that is not the owner, that is just the employee, do I allow them to call the shot and really influence my decision? That is an absolute no. Our job as a manager, as a leader, is to keep culture and to make sure this whole thing runs smoothly not because of someone's individual preference. Am I going to change a system or any of those things? Again, keeping it into, take it, take the context of it by getting their opinions about things or getting their feedback. Great. We all need that. The, the, the leaders, managers, CEOs that don't account for their, their staff's feedback are just blind. They don't have a pulse. Mm. They don't have a pulse of their team. I always say this in leadership. In leadership in general, your job as a coach or as a leader, after just coming off of a basketball conversation, right? Like as a coach, <laughs> as a coach or a leader, your job is to have the pulse of your team. The pulse of it. Like you have to know what's going on. You have to know who's disgruntled. You have to know who's performing high. You have to know what's going on. So of course you need their feedback and you need them to talk to you. But it gets, again, the slippery slope is then basing your decisions around their preferences. Oh, we need more days off. And then you go to, and you calculate, all right, well, we can give you more days off. We need more food in the, in the cafeteria. All right, well, let's try to put more food in. We need to have a meeting every, all right, well, let's set up a meeting. Like now you're just pandering to what other, <laughs> what, what your staff is doing and missing the big picture as a leader your job is to steer the ship and make sure that we know the direction that the ship is going it's not to just make sure that everyone uh feels happy about their situation at your job because then the organization suffers on the back end so mm -hmm. so that it, that is the point the 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 my take on that is absolutely not like i would never um say that that's a good way to lead or manage by just changing things to accommodate your staff, even though their input is important, a leader's job, a manager's job is completely different. You have to run the whole thing. So you have to see it from a broader angle. So that's my take on that. I like it. I and like that, it. And that was it to wrap it up. So that was our rapid fire. That was our rapid fire uh, podcast episode. We touched on five different topics. I like that. I, I, I like that format, T. Like just going back and forth and kind of touching on some things that are important. I think, it's a, I think it's a good way to really touch on a lot of topics. There's a lot of things that happen out here in the world that maybe we don't get a chance to talk about or give our perspective on. And I think that's a good way to do it. Just kind of some quick hitters, you know? Boom. Absolutely, guys. So, hey, we do always end with the question of the day, though. So we're going to end with another question of the day. And this one, it's going to be a free for all because we want to see <laughs> we, 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 we want to see you guys what you guys actually care about. You know, for the first X amount of episodes of, of this podcast, we've given you the topic and then we want you to talk about our topic. But this one will make it a we'll make it an open forum and say, hey, give us one topic that is important to you that you've had either a debate about or you've had a difference of perspective about with a friend, family member, coworker, group of people that um, you, you feel like you want to talk about and hit us up on Twitter, right? Hit us up on Twitter um, and let's start to have a conversation uh, about these topics that you guys want to talk about. So the question of the day today is literally give us one topic that you've been talking about with a friend, family, co-worker that you're having a little bit of a debate about that you just want to share your perspective we'd love to hear it we want to have the conversation with you so you know where to find us 
we want to start having more conversation on Twitter, guys. Uh, T and I were talking about how we're falling back in love with Twitter, I guess, right? Or you're falling in love for the first time, T? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm falling back in love with Twitter, so we want to have that conversation with you. Uh, so hit us, find us there, hit us up, and we can continue the conversation. So T, say goodbye to the people. People, I'll say this. When you have your any political questions, you can direct um, um, straight to Chris. <laughs> he, he, he will be glad to answer all of your political And I promise that he will answer every single one in full. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank, thank, thank you for throwing that out there, T. Uh, because if I do really answer all your questions in full, we're, I'm not going to have a lot of friends, followers. Uh, <laughs> might even get booted out of the country after a while. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what will happen at that rate? So uh, if you guys um, take that advice, you might not be hearing me too much longer on this podcast in the United States. It's going to be a new podcast. It's going to be Terrell's Perspective Podcast. Exactly. exactly. So, oh, my God. To, way to try to set me up to get me out of there. But for all that community, if you do hit me with a political question, I will try to answer. But you might not like where it goes. So. Oh, my God. I'm, uh, I can't wait till we start actually video recording these. I'm actually crying right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally crying. Woo. All right, that's it. funny. But either way, guys, we, we, we want to hear from you. So until next time, we're going to sign off for the Perspective Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Have a blessed week. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Perspective Podcast. We hope this conversation made you think a bit deeper, gain some insight, or even possibly even gain a brand new perspective. If you did enjoy it, do us a favor. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else you stream. Leave a review to help more people experience these conversations and potentially change their perspective as well. And lastly, as always, T and I want you to connect with us. So follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You can find us just by using our names. And there we get a chance to hear your perspective. Until next time, God bless.